I'm Joy Schwartz. And I'm Natalie Siston. We are The, the Collective, Collective Voice. Voice. We are two college friends who will talk about issues that impact professionals at work and in life. Welcome to Episode 6 of The Collective Voice. This is Natalie to kick off today's topic. Joy has brought back Nihar Chaya for a second recording. This time you are in for a bit of humor as well as a bit of information. They will kick off the episode by reading quotes the way a woman would have said them in a meeting. Then they'll get into more serious discussions around what's holding women back, specifically regarding their communication style. I think you'll find this very informative and enjoyable. Let's go to the discussion. I've invited a friend and former colleague, Nihar Chaya, back for another podcast episode. And I wanted to delve into an article that, that inspired the podcast episode and, and bring some levity to the topic in general. A colleague of mine recently shared an opinion piece from the Washington Post by Alexander Petri, and it was called Famous Quotes, The Way a Woman Would Have to Say Them in a Meeting. The piece originated in response to discrepancies in compensation of women actors compared to men. Petri references an essay Jennifer Lawrence wrote for Lena Dunham in which she talks about the double standard in the way men and women communicate. When speaking her mind in a no-nonsense, no-BS sort of way, like that of her male colleagues, and they do it all day long, she was met with replies of, whoa, we're all on the same team here, as if something she said was personal, offensive, or wrong. Petri goes on to say that even though you think you stated your case simply and effectively, people still wonder why you're terrifyingly angry. Instead, she says, we have to start with the thought, then figure out how to say it as though you were offering a groveling apology for an unspecified error. And and this is what we've been socialized to do as women. And I guess to illustrate the absurdity of it, Petri translated some well-known phrases into phrases a woman might have said uh, to avoid being perceived as angry, threatening, or God forbid, bitchy. I said the word on it on the air. Uh, so Nihar and I have to read some of these quotes to you because they're hilarious, albeit a little sad. <laughs> so um, Nihar, why don't you go ahead and read the first one? Okay. So the first one says, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. A quote we've heard before. A woman in a meeting would say, I'm not an expert, Dave, but I feel like maybe you could accomplish more by maybe shifting your focus from asking things from the government and instead looking at things that we can all do ourselves. Just a thought. Just a thought. Take it for what it's worth. That's great. I'm sure JFK would have loved that one. So here's another one, maybe for biblical history. Let my people go. And the way it might have been said by a woman in a meeting, Pharaoh, listen, I totally hear where you're coming from on this. I totally do. And I don't want to, to butt in if you've come to a decision here, but just, I have to say, would you consider that an argument for maybe releasing these people could conceivably have merit? Or is that already off the table? <laughs> you take the next one, Nihar. All right. So the next one is, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. A woman in a meeting would say, I'm sorry, it really feels to me like we're all equal, you know? I just feel really strongly on this. That's great. So here's one more. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. We know that one. And the translation would be, I have to say, I'm sorry, I just have to say this. I don't think we should be as scared of of non-fear things as maybe we are. If that makes sense? Sorry, I feel like I'm rambling. And 
you know, Nihar and I definitely got a chuckle out of these as we were reading the article and reviewing them before this podcast episode. But I guess in all seriousness, Nihar, I have to believe that in your coaching experience, you've worked with some women who have had to figure out how to play this way in a, in a man's world. With that as context, um, I definitely have some questions for you. And so the first one is, have you ever worked with a client, um, perhaps a female client, who's demonstrated some of the behaviors we mentioned in the Washington Post article? Yes, I definitely have, Joy. You know, we oftentimes also see things like uptalk, where sentences are ended as if they are seeking approval rather than in a declarative way, um, keeping women leaders from really showing their effectiveness And some might add in fillers or go off on tangents that lose their audience. Oh, sure. But what's also interesting is that when I've given feedback to some of the people I work with, the way they they deal with it is to actually sometimes do a complete 180 where they're speaking in a completely opposite way. What do you mean by that? For instance, they they try to speak in an overly dominant way that overtakes their audience. Mm, Um, To overcompensate for it? Exactly. Okay. They actually do this as a way of countering the initial perception. You know, not so much because it's their natural style. They're mm-hmm. actually looking for the right approach instead of really listening to what feels authentic for them. And instead of finding an approach that feels right and has a positive audience impact, they simply move between two extremes. What about this, what you said about doing it in a way that's authentic to them? You know, what advice do you have for women who are trying to do that? Or people in general, I guess, to find that authentic voice? Well, one step is to think about what is keeping me from expressing my truth or my style that, that feels comfortable. What I oftentimes find is that it's a way of coping with an inner critic that we all have. This inner critic is telling us that we can't be too confident, but we also can't be too vulnerable. Mm. And, you know, if you listen to male leaders, it's not like they don't waffle with their ideas one minute or then come on strong at other times. Women, unfortunately, are held to a higher standard in, as you might say, a man's world. Sure. But my hope is that they continue to stay visible and stay true to their intended voice and deliver their message in ways that balance power and warmth. Your listeners might want to read a recent article from Amy Cuddy at Harvard that discusses these two aspects. Power and warmth are equally important to green credibility, and there's a delicate balance that needs to be struck there. Yeah, I've heard quite a bit from female leaders in my organization about Walk, I think the way they've worded it is walking that tightrope mm-hmm. um, and trying to find the balance between the two. So we'll have to post that article from uh, Amy Cuddy on our, our websites and make sure our listeners can access it as well. Transitioning a little bit, you know, one of my colleagues uses this expression when she's coaching others on how to prepare for presentations or speaking engagements or even just interacting with leaders impromptu. And her, her quote is, be brief, be brilliant, and be gone. Mm-hmm. You know, so how have you coached others, particularly women, to do just that? I like this advice, uh, be brief, be brilliant, and be gone. I think it's a good recommendation. Being brief while being brilliant is obviously very hard to do because in our minds, we think that in order to show how brilliant our message is, we have to explain everything we're thinking about in detail and not miss anything. But no matter the depth or substance of your message, the delivery of it in a way that lands with your audience can make or break it. So I'd coach leaders to remember that you might have the most groundbreaking data or message to share, but if your delivery goes past a certain limit, you're going to lose your audience. Yeah. Well, and I think about in a recent book I read, how women should talk so so men will listen, and we may get to that a little bit later in our podcast. 
I think there was a pyramid uh, graphic that was depicted in terms of the way men versus women communicate. So mm-hmm. if you think about, you know, a typical, excuse me, a triangle. So a typical triangle, you know, men may start at the top and communicate very little and then, or with few words, and then ask for additional details or recognize they may be asked for additional details. Sometimes as women, I think we have a tendency to have the inverted triangle uh-huh. where we start with a lot of detail and a lot of information, and then we work our way down to the, the point of the triangle, and it can make you know, men or even some women or anyone really annoyed. Um, right. So you probably see that. So what do you have these leaders think about You know, when they're – how do you coach them as they engage in these type of presentations or opportunities where they have to influence others? Well, one thing that I I encourage leaders to think about is what do you want your audience to think and feel at the end of your interaction? And when I say interaction, it could be a conversation, but it could be a big presentation in a conference room. What do you want them to say to themselves or do after they leave the room? Mm -hmm. Then think about what do you need to share with them to give them just enough information and motivation and clear action steps that they will do or feel what you had hoped they would. Oh, I like that. And yeah. a nice, succinct way to think about it. Yeah, and you know, someone once told me that for my own presentations when I was getting coached, to think about two questions, so what and now what. Hmm. These are the two things that you must always ask yourself about your content and delivery and assume your audience is thinking the same. Everything you say, ask yourself, so what? What is the purpose of sharing this and does it pass the test of critical importance? And now what? What should I do after hearing this information? Why should I do it? So as an audience member... I'm looking for information in brief, digestible chunks, and I need to be motivated to care about it. And then I need also some clear action steps that help me translate what I heard into something that matters after I leave the room. If you keep ensuring you have good answers to the so what and now what, I believe you have a better shot at being brilliant, as you said, and also being brief, and you can make sure that you're really providing something of meaning to them before they leave the room. Those are great points, Nihar. And on a related note... We've all heard about the fact that women tend to communicate to foster or maintain or build relationships, whereas men tend to communicate in order to exchange information. In fact, one of the books I was reading ahead of our our podcast episode is called Code Switching, How to Talk So Men Will Listen. The author is Claire Damkin-Brown, as well as um, another author, Audrey Nelson. And I've seen Claire speak, and it's really powerful. But this whole concept of social maintenance that she talks about in the book, uh, and I've certainly heard her speak on this as well, is that for women, communication is is social. It's this way to create bonds. And again, men are are raised seeing as talking as a way to exchange information. We're just socialized that way. So it seems like we're kind of stuck. And, you know, what do we do about it? And, And can it be good? Can it be, where can this social maintenance be a good thing? Where have you seen that in your experience, Nihar? Well, yeah, I actually think that, you know, caring about social maintenance is a a big strength. Uh, And in fact, it's an area where more male leaders probably would be uh, more effective if they thought about investing in that. And the reason why I say that is, um, you know, I used to coach a leader who used to tell me business is easy. The people issue is the hard part. Yeah. Right. The people get in the way, right? Right. And so you could have the most elegant strategy. You could have the best business plan, but without really understanding relationships and how people operate, you're not going to get anywhere. And, you know, Marsha Goldsmith oftentimes says that leadership is a contact sport. 
And Marshall is? Marshall Goldsmith is a well-renowned executive coach. Absolutely. And, you know, when you hear leadership as a contact sport, you know, you oftentimes think what he's, what he's implying is that it's a rough and tumble life and you have to kind of deal with the, the sharp elbows in organizational life. But what it also means is that you can't get far without investing in relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we know, for example, Joy, you and I have worked in technology companies together, and we know that there's only so far you can go when you're an expert in the subject matter of your technology. To be a leader, there's the soft skill element. There's the relationship aspect. And I think women might have an edge in this area by really just intuitively being aware of how important relationships are and actually going towards them to, to nurture them. Yeah. And I think you and I were having a conversation uh, separately at some point around this concept of trust Mm -hmm. and how being able to establish those meaningful relationships early on and establish rapport with other people in your stakeholder network can help help establish that trust so that you really can get more out of your people. I mean, that may not be the, the primary motivation for those in our gender, but it certainly can serve to generate results faster um, right. and drive for better collaboration. So, and, and also to your point that, you know, one of the aspects we talked about was to build trust, sometimes listening and really actively opening up the conversation so that we are both feeling heard and feeling invested in, in a shared vision and shared goal is critical to develop trust. And women, if what you say is true on social maintenance, they are probably more aware of the power of listening and, and really developing the delivery uh, of, a, of a meaningful conversation as opposed to just, as you said, kind of just sharing information and then, and then leaving the uh, interaction. Yeah, absolutely. I think we probably just have to learn how to adapt mm-hmm. for our audience, right? And I shouldn't say we, but um, for our listeners who kind of move in this direction, it right. can be really helpful. So shifting gears a bit to another body of work and and someone else I've, I've researched on this topic is a, a thought leader named Sylvia Hewlett. She's an economist, a consultant, a lecturer, and expert on gender and workplace issues. I've developed and facilitated training based on her book, Forget a Mentor, Find a Sponsor, The New Way to Fast Track Your Career. Sylvia addresses three elements of executive presence in her book. It's appearance, communication, and gravitas. And at some point, Natalie and I will host an entire episode or several just on appearance. There are plenty of things that we as women do wrong in this area. And we'll come back to communication shortly, but first I want to hit on gravitas, which according to, to Sylvia Hewlett is how you act. And, and I'm paraphrasing here a bit, but she describes this as standing by your convictions, assuring others that you mean business and will execute aggressively, and righting your wrongs quickly. The first two sound like common dude behavior, in my opinion. I've heard comments like, why can't, insert female name here, be more like so-and-so who bangs his fist on the table and says, this is how it's going to be. That's a long exposition for how can women who aren't programmed to act this way adapt? Nihar, what do you think? I think it can be helpful to think about gravitas in terms of what you feel gives you a sense of grounding and centeredness. I believe sticking to your guns and assuring others that you mean business look different for different people. For some, it might look blustery and loud, but there are many leaders that can stop an audience cold with the power of wit or humor or even warmth. And it doesn't have to always be in the form of what the typical alpha male executive does. In fact, I think it's a mistake to try to emulate those approaches because people can really see right through them. Hmm. So to me, gravitas comes from being comfortable in your own skin so people can be comfortable being led by you. It's being grounded in what you want for yourself 
And it's also based on an awareness of what people want from you and then finding honest ways to make that present in your connection with them. Cool. Let me give an example. If you mean business and stick to your guns, but you're doing it because it genuinely cuts to the heart of your intentions in that leadership situation, and you feel like you have no choice but to stand by those convictions and make your intentions clear, then you're going to have gravitas in your message. But if the issue isn't as important or deep to you, then acting like it is when it's not won't reveal any more gravitas in your presence. Yeah, that's a great point about authenticity there. So given your experience, how would you coach someone to do this? I try to help them get centered themselves on who they are and what they want to express and why. Mindfulness is a great tool here to help them simply take away the judgment that they might feel around how they should act so they can tune into what they really want and why. And then it's important to go back to considering who the audience is. What's important to them and why? What is missing between where this audience is and where they want to be? And how can you express your truths in a way that resonates with that? At that point, I think it's easier to not backtrack or stand loosely by what you said because you found an authentic place from which to express yourself. That's great, Nihar. And, and I want to go back a little bit to something you said around mindfulness. So that's a term that we could probably spend, again, another whole podcast covering. But maybe just for our listeners who aren't as familiar with the concept of mindfulness or the, the practice of mindfulness, can you give us a little bit of an elevator pitch on that? Yeah, I think you know, there's a lot of definitions that people throw around for mindfulness. The way I like to think about it is you're simply being aware and observing your thoughts and your feelings and your interpretation of the world around you without judgment. And so, you know, one way to tap into that is, for example, pay attention to your breath, Mm. Uh, pay attention to the sensations of breathing. And people might do this by taking 20 minutes out of their day to meditate, but actually you can do this really uh, right now. You can literally be in the middle of a sentence while being aware and observing yourself speaking and being aware of yourself in the, in the process of talking. And by doing that, you're able to create some distance between the sensations or the judgment you feel or the criticism you feel or the, the loud inner critic in your mind and really what you, who you are and really what you want and what your intentions are. So I try to encourage leaders to create that space mm-hmm. by just being aware and taking the judgment out of what they're, what they're thinking and what they're feeling. That's awesome. You sound like the psychologist now. I love it. <laughs> So getting back to the topic of communication, and and Nihar, you mentioned earlier that you've coached or helped leaders with this up talk. I wanted to provide some examples of what some of these communication challenges or blunders might sound like in practice. Uh, And to do so, I'm going to quote a couple of um, examples from a book I mentioned earlier that's called Code Switching, How to Talk Some Men Will Listen by Claire Damkin Brown and Audrey Nelson. So one of these is um, are, are the disclaimers, so these apologies and excuses that women often offer before they make a point. And so women sometimes use this to distance themselves from the claim they're about to make. And it, it may seem like a form of protection, uh, like an apology for speaking, but it often undermines our credibility, you know, similar to what we heard in, from the Washington Post article earlier. And, and here's another example, but with, with some terminology around it. A classic qualifier sounds something like this. Um, I don't know if this is a good idea, there's the disclaimer, but I thought we could, you know, hypothetical, not a direct request, or this probably sounds stupid, another disclaimer, but I thought one way we could handle this, once again, just a suggestion, you know, starting a sentence like this, according to Damkin and uh, Damkin Brown and Nelson, pads it with unnecessary verbiage. 
they also go on to say that many men agree that women can't just say something, that they need to say something before they say it. And then, uh, to the, again, to our earlier comments around uptalk, sometimes we have a tendency to engage in, in tentative speak or tentative speech, excuse me, which goes beyond those qualifiers and disclaimers and using what Damkin Brown and Nelson refer to as tag questions. So a tag question is an unnecessary question added at the end of the sentence. And it also comes with a musical feature. <laughs> so at the end of the last word, the pitch goes up a few notes and, it, and therefore it can sound flimsy. So I need this report by Friday, okay? And the pitch goes up as if to imply that the listener actually has the option to say no. <laughs> And you know, compare this to what what men typically do in their use of declarative sentences. And their last word and the pitch often goes down. I need this report by Friday. You know, pitch going down. I should have had you do this, Nihar. You could have done much more justice to the statement. But it signals finality. No ifs, ands, or buts. So these are just some examples of the very briefly some of the things we do, and certainly ties it back to that Washington Post article we mentioned earlier on. So let's go ahead and close out this podcast episode. Our listeners can't see me, but right now I'm covered in books on this topic. One that we've been mentioning called Code Switching, How to Talk So Men Will Listen by Claire Damkin Brown and Audrey Nelson. Forget a Mentor, Find a Sponsor by Sylvia Hewlett. We've got Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office by Lois Frankel and Pitch Like a Girl by Ronna Lichtenberg. And the list goes on and on. There are there is probably a half a bookstore or half of Amazon filled with books like this. So I'd like to leave our listeners with just a few pieces of advice to summarize what we've covered in this episode. First is know how you will inform and motivate your audience and what feels authentic to you. Walk that tightrope and find that balance between those extremes we talked about and how to be your more authentic self. And on a related note, while we didn't cover it explicitly, it can also really help to find someone that you trust to give you feedback on whether you're committing any of these communication pitfalls we've articulated. And then third, find a way to silence that inner critic so that you can express gravitas in your own authentic way. Nihar, thank you so much for joining me for yet another podcast. Would you be kind enough to tell our listeners where they can find you uh, and where they can go to learn more about you and your work? Joy, it's been a real pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks so much for having me. And your listeners can find me on my website, uh, partnerexec.com. That's P-A-R-T-N-E-R-E-X-E-C.com, partnerexec. Awesome. Thanks again, Nihar. Thanks. That's a wrap on Episode 6. I hope you enjoyed the discussion and picked up a few practical tips that you can put to use immediately. I know my favorite concept from today's episode was that of triangle communication, it's something I'm definitely going to think more about as I'm conducting meetings and discussions at my company. For more information about Joy, you can visit her website, joyschwartz.com. And for more about me, Natalie, you can visit my website, smalltownleadership.com. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to check out future podcasts of The Collective Voice on iTunes. This is Joy Schwartz and Natalie Siston with The Collective Voice.